1: Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are Charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself.
2: Science is everywhere. From the stars that light up the night sky to the intricate patterns on a butterfly's wings. Science is at play in all parts of our world and it is continually making our lives so great. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Hannah Hundle and today the theme for our show is science and humanities.
3: And I'm Courtney Chung. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star UR charity. We have a fascinating show lined up for you today as we delve into the world of science and how it's truly important for all of us to appreciate. Wow. Now, I know, Courtney, that you're
2: currently an English major in college. And I wonder, has that shaped your perspective on science at all? Or do you still value it just as much?
3: Even as an English major, I still have great respect and interest in the sciences because these researchers and these technological advancements ultimately become part of our society in ways that improve our lives. From cell phones to lawnmowers, from cures for diseases to prosthetic limbs, we've been able to come so far thanks to science.
2: That's very true. Well, with that in mind, we have a reporter, Ryan, here to talk about science careers in the United Nations and how this international community is looking at science innovation to create the solutions for the next generation. Hi, Ryan.
4: Hi, guys. Today, I'm going to be talking about a UN body that might not be as well known as the Security Council or UNICEF, but is just as important. The UN Commission on Science and Technology for Development is a subsidiary body of the Economic and Social Council, or ECOSOC which is one of the six major organs of the United Nations. It was created to provide the General Assembly and ECOSOC of high level advice on relevant science and technology issues. So what does that mean? As we've said earlier, science is everywhere. It literally permeates every facet of our everyday lives. But most of the time, we focus on science from a domestic perspective. We think of technology in terms of how Apple might be making the new iPhone, or we think of science as the advances in energy production being made nationally in the United States. Science and technology doesn't occur in a vacuum. Innovation is never spurred in isolation. Science and technology is a global effort, meaning that global oversight and regulation is an absolute must. So where does the UN Commission on Science and Technology for Development come into play? As technology contributes to globalization, in which technology gets disseminated across the world, the UN Commission on Science and Technology for Development ensures that developing countries are able to globalize as well. In fact, this institution actually works on sustainable development for over 150 countries in providing advice and technical assistance. Additionally, the Commission serves an instrumental role in strengthening trade partnerships between countries, making sure that all countries have an equal opportunity to access the newest and most innovative scientific and technological discoveries. And at the same time, it makes sure that we're able to pursue new advances in science and technology while making sure that our Earth isn't too negatively affected by climate change, And pollution. At the end of the day, science is the key to promoting a future where countries can grow together and gradually become more and more interconnected. And as the world gets closer and closer through the bonds of scientific discovery, hopefully we'll realize that we're not so different from each other after all.
2: Ah, that's those are some really great points Ryan and I think you briefly mentioned this idea that science nowadays is a global effort. We've got people working from all different countries to create these innovations. I mean, when we're talking about the Human Genome Project that involves so many people across the world, or all these other inventions that are coming about because so many people are in this together, it kind of makes me ponder a little bit about how we need to or if we need to go about regulating this in some sort of manner. How do you personally think the line should be drawn between effective regulation and making sure that we're not kind of dampering the creativeness of scientists who really just want to conduct their research?
4: Well, I think that's an excellent question. And I think that the line isn't going to be exact in every single case. I think that it's important for the United Nations and other international organizations, like the World Trade Organization, not to necessarily dampen the creative juices of different scientists, and to infringe upon different nations' sovereignty, like the right to basically decide what sort of route they want their technology to go towards. But I also think that's important for the international organizations to foster collaboration between the different countries around the world, and also to make sure that these countries realize that their innovation and the technological policies that they pursue don't occur in a vacuum. That if one country decides to pursue some sort of technological policy that could potentially increase global warming, that it's not just their own country that they're affecting, but they're also potentially harming countries around the world. So I do think that it's sort of a yes and no answer that there's going to be times where the United Nations and other international organizations shouldn't step in, but I also do think that at the point where sometimes their policies may actually hurt the international community at large, that's when the United Nations should step in.
2: Uh, okay, so you're advocating kind of first a natural system of checks and balances, and if that goes awry, then we can get in more efforts to make sure these, uh, this research is staying on track.
4: Yes, exactly. I think that we shouldn't necessarily um, like artificially try and tell people what sort of technological advances that they should um, create, but rather that we should let these things come basically naturally, like whatever innovations are what the people want and after the people basically dictate what sort of innovations are best suited to their interests, then I think that They should be able to do whatever policies they think best suit those interests. But I also think at the same time, we need to have some sort of regulations when um, if people are doing some policies that could potentially harm the entire world.
2: Right, right. So is there... Has there been anything really specific that the UN Commission on Science and Technology has been doing lately? I know you mentioned a lot of the different roles they play in you know, strengthening trade relationships, um, providing equal access to these new innovations, but do you know of anything specific that they're working on right now?
4: Actually, um, one interesting project that this commission has been working on is it's been trying to make sure that with the internet becoming more and more of a global phenomenon that countries are able to peacefully coexist between one another on this international forum that is the internet. Because there's a lot of incidents where people in, uh, in different countries might launch almost like cyber attacks and um, cyber warfare on one another. and This organization, the UN Commission on Science and Technology for Development, really tries to mediate between these different countries and tries to establish an area where these different countries can peacefully coexist and come to agreements with one another and realize that the Internet isn't necessarily a place where they have to compete with one another, but they can actually build each other up instead. to work?
3: Huh. Like, as I said earlier, Like I'm not so sure how this like the science and technological advancements are progressing nowadays.
4: Um, well, I do think that um, science and technology is advancing in such a way that it's no longer, as I said before, just occurring in a vacuum, but rather I think that it's more of an international sort of perspective that science is going. So I think that it's important for Um, us as a nation and as an international community to realize that um, we need to come together as an international community to promote these scientific advances and make our world stronger as a whole.
3: Okay. Thank you so much, Ryan, for that great segment. I'm Courtney Chung. During the break, be sure to visit www.expressyourselfteenradio.com to see photos, descriptions, links, and more. If anyone wants to start a club, B-T-S-Y-A, at your school, please email our producer for information at Cynthia at the
2: And I'm Hannah Hundle. Stick around for our next segment, where we get to welcome on an outstanding researcher and professor who's really making waves for his work. Stay tuned.
1: We promise that listening will be just like delving into a good book. What do
0: you want to do? Are you interested in the performing arts? If so, make sure you tune in to the Angel and Harmony Show. Angel and Harmony have experience singing, acting, and performing in general and want to help you live out your dreams of the future. Whether you are interested in acting, modeling, dancing, or singing, this is the show for you. We'll even give you the scoop on being behind the scenes if you're a little shy. The Angel and Harmony Show is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids channel.
3: Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids.
5: Brought
2: to you by Davis Value Art Charity. I'm Courtney Chung. And I'm Hannah Hundle. Now, when we said earlier we had a terrific show lined up for you today, we weren't kidding. I have the absolute honor of welcoming on a remarkable guest who actually welcomed me into his research lab this summer. Dr. Jonathan Eisen is a full professor at the University of California, Davis, with appointments in the UC Davis Genome Center, the School of Medicine, and the College of Biological Sciences. Dr. Eisen's research focuses on communities of microbes and how they provide new functions to each other or to a host. His study systems have included boiling acid pools, surface ocean waters, agents of many diseases, and the microbial ecosystems in and on plants and animals.
5: Dr. Eisen is also coordinating the largest largest microbial sequencing project to date a genomic encyclopedia being done at the DOE Joint Genome Institute where he holds an agent appointment. His overarching goal in his research is to create a field guide to the microbes, much as exists for birds or trees.
2: In addition to his research, Dr. Eisen is a vocal advocate for open scholarship, particularly open access to publications. He is also an active and award-winning blogger and science communicator and an elected member of the American Academy of Microbiology.
5: Prior to working at UC Davis, Dr. Eisen was on the faculty of the Institute for Genomic Research and held an agent appointment at the Johns Hopkins University. He earned a PhD in Biological Sciences from Stanford University and an AD in Biology from Harvard College.
2: As you can imagine, I am beyond elated to welcome this truly accomplished individual and my summer research mentor to the program. Hi, Dr. Eisen.
6: Hello, and uh, we were very, very happy to have you in the lab.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I really did have a terrific time. And now, you have an illustrious history in academia and research. And I'm wondering, can you briefly describe maybe some of your predominant areas of research over the years? maybe before you got involved in studying microbes?
6: There, there was no before. Um, mostly <laughs> I've been obsessed with and interested in microbes since um, I kind of wandered into a research lab as an undergraduate that was studying these incredibly strange creatures that live in the bottom of the ocean called giant tube worms, and <laughs> they have these um, bacteria that live inside of them that basically provide them with all their nutrients. They have no mouth, they have no digestive system, they're down in the bottom of the ocean, two miles down in the dark, and yet they thrive there because of these bacteria. And once, once I started working on that, I, I never looked back. Microbes are just so cool. Um, <laughs> I, I've really been working on them for 25 years now.
2: Wow. So is it really just the sheer oddity of microbes that attracted you to them?
6: I think so. I mean, I think that um, in part because you can't see them in the normal world without the aid of a microscope, that is basically how they're defined, that I found them really intriguing. It's kind of similar to studying particles inside atoms and studying galaxies far, far away. You know, they're all around us. They're really important. But we needed sort of alternative tools to study them because you can't see them in their normal day-to-day lives.
5: Okay, so since we can't see them, what is the best way for people to think about microbes? Like, what are some of the biggest misconceptions people may have about them?
6: Well, I mean, I think the number one misconception that I actually spend a lot of time writing about in my blog and also relates to our work is that... um, microbes are sort of there to kill us or to kill our pets or our friends or our plants uh, in some way. And it, it's true that a lot of what we know about diseases, a lot of you know major ailments around the planet are in fact caused by microorganisms in some way, tuberculosis, AIDS, Ebola virus. They're scary. They're um, unpleasant effects of these organisms but in reality the vast majority of microbes that are on the planet or that are in and on people or plants and animals the vast majority of them they, they don't hurt us or help us and in addition there's a huge number of them that actually are beneficial to other organisms in their environment so I think the the biggest misconception is that we you know we're threatened by all of these microbes. We should kill them all. We should get rid of them all because they're dangerous.
2: Ah, yeah. So speaking of beneficial microbes, actually running along the heading of your lab website is a really awesome quote, I thought. It's, may the microbes be ever in your favor.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess uh, I like taking things from popular culture and replacing some part of them with microbes in some way. So um, I was watching one of, the, one of the Hunger Games movies. I don't remember which one, and I, I came up with that.
2: Ah, well, it's quite terrific. So what are some of the ways that people can keep their microbes in their favor or in good shape? I, I imagine that one is probably not to overuse antibiotics, right?
6: Yeah, I mean, so if you sort of take this approach where you're thinking about the cloud of microbes that are everywhere on the planet on plants and on animals and in the oceans and in the soil and if you start with the idea that they're not all bad um, then you probably would rethink a lot of the ways you treat the world around you and in terms of just humans i mean i think the number one thing that a lot of us are concerned with right now is the overuse of both antibiotics and related sort of what are generally called antimicrobial compounds or surfaces or other materials that are there, um, you know, in theory to kill all of the microbes that are in a particular environment. And, you know, if you're sick and if you have a bacterial infection that is making you sick and it's, you know, severe, of course, taking antibiotics is an important thing to do and that's what has you know reduced the number of deaths by infectious disease on the planet compared to a hundred years ago you know our world has been changed for the better by antibiotics so but the problem is that you're covered in a cloud of other microbes even when you have that infection and if you take antibiotics you may kill the thing making you sick but you're also gonna kill the things in your mouth and in your gut and in other parts of your body. And the same is true in you know, um, a farm or in a cow or on a plant. Um, wanton killing of all the microbes in a system is a risky endeavor. And right. we are now, we're now learning that that's a, a problem for people. If you take antibiotics, there are risks associated with that.
5: So clearly our microbial communities are really important, but even like in contrast, there are still people who for some reason or another are lacking key microbes in their microbial communities. Has a lot of research lately been focused on how to improve such cases?
6: Yeah, I mean so you know, one thing to appreciate is that we're very early in understanding um, all the microbes that are in our environment. So I'll just sort of give a little summary. The, the human body, any particular human, is covered in um, millions and millions and millions and billions and so on of cells of microbes. In fact, there are more cells of microbes on you than there are human cells. And there are at least thousands of distinct species among all of those cells. And we're just beginning to get an understanding of which microbes to expect in different parts of the body and that there are different ones on your elbow from your tongue, from your ilium, from your, you know, tooth um, and all the different parts of you. And it's sort of the equivalent of when the first explorers went to some island where they didn't have a catalog of the organisms on that island, and they brought back, you know, uh, 20 trays of samples to some museum somewhere, and the people got those trays, and they said, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and, and then someone brought back samples from an island where there had been a volcano, right, and, and there's right. many fewer organisms. And that's where we are now. We, we know um, that there are many human um, ailments where the microbial communities that are in different parts of the body are different than in healthy people. Right. And and we have some idea that that difference contributes in some cases to the health effects. So I'll give you the best example of this is um, this classic now Clostridium difficile infections that some people get and they persist even in the face of antibiotics. And those kill... 10, 20,000 people in the United States a year. Wow. Um, It's a really horrible infection. It gives you persistent gastrointestinal problems and people can have this for 10, 15 years.
2: Oh my goodness. And
6: and nobody had any good way to cure people of this um, until recently people started to sort of rediscover an old treatment that had been used occasionally but not widely. Mm called fecal transplantation, where it is exactly what it sounds like, Um, (laughs) you're taking microbes out of uh, someone's stool, cleaning it up a little bit and delivering it via tube to a recipient, and it it may sound gross, and it is kind of gross, but it has apparently a 95% success rate in curing C. diff infections.
2: Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Eisen, for sharing all this insight. We're going to be continuing this conversation, and you brought up some really valid points for us to reflect on. During the break, be sure to check out Dr. Eisen's blogs at phylogenomics.blogspot.com and his lab site at microbe, microbe.net. I'm Hannah Hundle. And I'm Courtney Chung.
5: Also, visit us at our radio site at expressingselfkingradio.com and our Tumblr page at atsiaradio.tumblr.com. Stick around for our next segment as we continue our conversation with Dr. I.
0: You're listening to Voice America Kids, real kids, real talk radio. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit expressyourselfteenradio.com. Now, back to our star teens.
5: Thank you for staying with us here at Voice American Merit Our program is Express Yourself, giving news across the world for voice people to listen to. I'm Courtney Chung, and today on Express Yourself, we're talking about the various ways science permeates our
7: world.
2: And I'm Hannah Hundle. Now, when we're talking about such an important topic as the value of science, what better way to get more information than to talk with the best? I am so thrilled that joining us again is Dr. Eisen full professor at UC Davis and head of the Eisen Lab in the UC Davis Genome Center, and also an enthusiast of microbes. One of his golden lines goes, microbes are not here to help us or hurt us. They are here for themselves. Great reminder. That's something to think about. And now in the previous segment, we were talking about really your infatuation with microbes. And it seems like this is something that has been running in your blood for so long. I think you even mentioned that Way back in the ninth grade, you had a premonition that you wanted to get into the side of science. is that right
6: well i don't i don't remember it so um, but I was digging through a box of my stuff that my mother made me take from her house, and I found a paper from ninth grade English class of all things, and it was you could invent your own question and then answer the question and I 'm sure all the other students in the class asked you know normal <laughs> questions of some kind. <laughs> And, and mine, because I'm such a dork, I guess, um, was describe a step in the evolution of a bacterium. And then I answered that. I don't remember this at all, but clearly I was thinking about this a long time ago.
2: Wow, wow, that is so incredible. And, you know, I mean, you have this love affair with microbes and you're so accomplished in that regard. But I feel like that's not the complete picture of you because you're also a strong advocate for science communication, taking research and results beyond the scope of the laboratory. Why do you think that is so important?
6: Well, I mean, I think uh, science communication in general is really important in every aspect of science, of course. I mean, teaching science, if you just give people a list of facts to memorize, they're probably going to quit science relatively quickly. So I think um, even when you're communicating with colleagues, you know, it, it's not... Um, something that you just know how to do you have to practice it you have to learn how to do it and I've become really really interested in communicating more broadly to you know the amateur scientists and to the public about not just about science you know facts and things like that which I actually am somewhat less interested in than the process of science how does it actually work and I think that's what will enable people to understand when a new scientific finding comes out that it's not magic.
2: Right, right, and you mentioned even reaching out to the general public and you know you share your projects, your body of work, your views with the world, you know, through blog posts and through social media. So are those efforts part of this outreach to colleagues or to the general public?
6: The great thing is it's to everyone, right? I mean the great thing about social media and the web is um, if I write a blog post, I can have it seen by my colleagues who I work with, by the students in my lab, by um, funding agencies if I want them to know what I'm working on, and also by the public. And as long as you write it in a way that isn't you know, filled with jargon and you know, um, too confusing, you, right. can reach, you can reach all those audiences at the same time.
5: So if you think such a academy does exist between, say, researchers and the general public, how can we bridge it? What, are, what do you think are some of the best ways to solve this issue?
6: Well, so, I mean, there are two things that we're doing in particular that I think help with this, um, and one of them relates to what we call openness in science, and we're really been, I'm, I mean, I'm not alone in this, but my lab and my group have been really interested in making all of the materials that we produce all of the data all of the software all of the figures all of the scientific papers available to anyone anywhere on the planet not only for free but with no restrictions in how they could use it and i think that by not trapping the scientific knowledge inside an ivory tower we reach out to the broader community and say you are part of us you are our target audience you you are one of the groups that we would like our work to reach And the second part of this is really um, trying to not draw a line between scientists and others even in terms of research so one of the things that we've been doing a lot of in my group is exploring how to do citizen science projects where people who are not active scientists or never even thought they would do scientific research actually participate in a scientific research project
2: Ah, yeah I actually got to get a little flavor of that uh, with my project there with Project Mercury and that was so cool and, you know, when you're talking about kind of putting the scientific information out there for everyone to access, do you ever worry that these scientific advancements are sometimes sensationalized and distorted in the mainstream media in ways that might mislead the public?
6: Well, I mean, that certainly happens and has happened throughout history. Uh, however, you communicate something, there's always going to be someone who will uh manipulated in some way to their advantage. And I think that um, one thing that I like about, quote, open science activities is when a reporter, for example, writes a story about a scientific study. In the past, when scientific papers were impossible to access by the public, they had no way of ground-truthing what that reporter was saying about the scientific study. But Mm -hmm. now... With, with, our, you know, with open scientific publications, anyone can go see the original scientific study. And it's a way of sort of keeping people in line uh, when they go overboard in terms of what they're claiming the scientific study says. Anybody can actually go see it.
5: So in, in line with what you've been saying about like, this open science idea, I know I've taken a public stand in favor of open scholarship, particularly open access to publications. Can you elaborate on what this entails and how this has changed from, say, in the
6: past? Yeah, so in the history of scholarly publishing, in, in, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it was very expensive to publish a book or a journal with a collection of papers. And the only way that you could do that was to charge libraries or individual people you know, reasonable amounts of money to pay for the printing of that work. And with with the internet, that's no longer true. That's just not a necessary component of distribution of knowledge. And what has happened in the last 10 to 20 years has been an expansion in new approaches to distributing scholarly knowledge, scientific papers, for example. And in the scientific paper arena there's been a movement for something called open access to the literature and what that basically means is that the scientific paper will be both freely available that is at no charge to the reader and will be perhaps more importantly available with no restrictions in how it can be used so you could create a database of all the scientific papers that are open access and you could analyze that database and publish your findings without violating any laws.
2: Ah, okay, and I know you've already personally taken some steps to promote this open access, particularly with your involvement in the journal PLOS Biology. Could you tell us a little bit about that? How are you active with that journal now?
6: (laughs) Um, So, there's been um, a few sort of steps and pushes in the scientific community to make the scientific literature more openly available. And about um, more than 10 years ago now, there was the creation of something called the Public Library of Science, which now goes by the abbreviation PLOS. Um, that was created actually by my brother and two colleagues of his. Oh, cool! Um, he's a professor at Berkeley. Um, And after, you know, a a few family arguments and a few baseball (laughs) games where we argued with each other, um, I was starting to become convinced that this was a useful thing. (laughs) Uh, And then we actually had a family medical emergency where I was unable to access the medical literature that was relevant to the emergency. And I suddenly realized why open access was important. (laughs)
2: Oh, wow, wow, that's great, a personal connection to that. And so,
6: (laughs) Floss Biology is one of the journals that has come out in, um, that publishes all of its literature openly and freely available, and I have been involved with them for the last 10 years.
2: Wow, wow, I am just stunned. Thank you so much, Dr. Eisen. I am profoundly grateful for you taking your time to give us your take on these matters. I've truly enjoyed our discussion today, just as much as I loved getting to do research in your lab this summer. Thank you again. I'm Hannah Hundle. During the break, be sure to check out Dr. Eisen's blogs at phylogenomics.blogspot.com and visit his lab site
5: at microbe.net. I'm Courtney Chung. Please also visit our website at expressyourselfteenradio.com and our videos at youtube.com forward slash be the star you are. Express Yourself is brought to you by Be the Star You Are Five Hundred One C Three Literacy and Positive Media Charity. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation.
0: Dinosaur Detectives can be heard every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids channel. Let's sing with the Indie Girls. Join Callie Young and Rinsley Phelps each week as they talk about the music industry with an emphasis on what it's like to sing as performers. We'll give out some great tips on how to make it big and be the next contestant on your favorite reality singing competition. We'll also talk to the artists who are already making it big on the up-and-coming circuit. Indie Girls can be heard live on the Voice America Kids channel every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune up your voice and join in the chorus. Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself. On the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens, Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens.
2: Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Hannah Hundle, and today our theme is Science and Humanity.
5: Now, we've been talking a lot about different science games for the whole show, and I couldn't agree more that developing a respect for science is critical, given how much it enhances our lives. There's so something that really stood up to me before when we were talking about science communication, and it was that we seem to get the best results when we merge science with humanities. Oh, I totally agree, Courtney. And I
2: love how there's so many ways to do it, whether it be writing scientific articles, thoughtful science reporting, as Dr. Eisen was mentioning, or even talking about science on the radio like we are right now. Integrating humanities with science is key to reaching a mass audience.
5: That's a good point. And speaking of that, it sounds like it's just the right time for another Health with Henna segment. So would you like to take it away? (laughs) I would. Thank you, Courtney. I'm thrilled to be doing another segment
2: today of Health with Henna. As part of my mission is to empower the new generation to lead active, healthy lives. I believe that if teenagers can get off on the right foot by making healthy lifestyle choices, then there's no telling what we'll be able to accomplish. Now, I can truthfully say that in all of my years of health advocacy, I don't think I found a better medium to get my message through than radio. When we're talking about the fusion of science and humanities, my quest to revive healthy lifestyles has been enhanced so greatly by the fact that I have platforms to carry it out on. And I'm eternally grateful for that. When I began the Health with Hannah segment here on Express Yourself, my vision was to take the hard facts, the hard research coming out in esoteric journals and from scientific communities. And I wanted to frame that research in a way that was more comprehensible and appealing to young people. I can't even relate to you how thrilled I was to begin doing that. And even today, I'm still just as heavily engaged in this work. Now, of course, some negative thinkers might say that my mission to effectuate a broad-scale shift toward health consciousness is hopelessly idealistic. After all, a lot of unhealthy behaviors are still so prevalent in our society right now. However, I'm the type of person to keep my eyes on the prize and take things just one step at a time. If I can impact even one individual to make a small incremental change in their life, then I would consider my health advocacy work a job well done. Maybe, just maybe, you can be that person today. Ready? Here's the deal. Wherever you're living, whatever your age, whatever may occupy your time chances are you probably are spending quite a bit of time sitting. In fact, it's been reported that the average American spends more hours sitting down than even sleeping. If you go to school full-time, then undoubtedly you know the restlessness that accompanies sitting at a desk for hours on end. But there's more to the picture than just how uncomfortable it can be to sit down for prolonged periods of time. In fact, a multitude of health problems are actually associated with sitting down for too long, including, but not limited, to higher cholesterol levels, preconditions to cardiovascular disease, and blood pooling in the legs, which can negatively impact the endothelial function of the arteries. Now, initially, this may be a cause of real discouragement to you. After all, we really can't help the fact that many of our jobs, activities, and commitments nowadays requires sitting down at a desk. However, I'm here to tell you that you can halt that discouragement right in its tracks because lucky for you, researchers from the University of Indiana have taken a look at ways that we can prevent the negative effects of prolonged sitting. Here are the facts. A team led by postdoctoral researcher Sarab Dasar conducted two research trials, each composed of 11 non-obese healthy men between the ages of 20 and 35. In the first trial, the men could only sit for three hours with no leg motion permitted. In the second trial, the men also sat for three hours, but each hour they were allotted a five minute time block to walk on a treadmill. After each of the trials, the researchers assessed the different effects of the trials on the men by using a blood pressure cuff and ultrasound technology to measure the functionality of the femoral artery. So, ready for the cool part? Well, the researchers found that the men who took brief walking breaks during the large sitting block had their arterial function remain the same. On the contrary, during the trial that the men did not walk at all, their arterial function declined. Now, this study is going to be published soon in the journal Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise. But as you can imagine, it's already been making headlines. Perhaps it's because we now all feel like we have a valid reason to get up for those stretch breaks in between our intense hours of work and study. Quite frankly, I was really intrigued and happy when I came across this study. For me personally, I know that light physical activity to chunk up the endless amount of sitting is definitely going to be on the agenda. It's important for me to take care of my health so I'll be applying this in full swing. And I'm truthfully hoping you'll be joining me.
5: That was a fantastic segment, as, as always, Hannah. And I had a couple of questions. So you mentioned that you have been doing, you have been in part of the health advocacy for years. So how exactly did you get into it?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I've believe it dates all the way back to 8th grade. Wow, it's quite remarkable to think about it. Wow. You know, You're sitting, <laughs> as I am, a senior in high school now, and just kind of reflecting on all my experiences. But yes, I believe it's all the way dating back to 8th grade when I first got a monthly opinion column in the local newspaper. And so for that opinion column, I was addressing youth issues in the community. And clearly that required me really getting out there, reaching out to people, talking with people, kind of getting a clear understanding of these problems as they related to the people that lived around me. And what Mm -hmm. I started noticing more and more as I was doing these columns was that I was talking about health issues so much, you know, different things that I noticed youth doing that I felt were worthy of addressing in the paper. And so the more and more I was writing about these health issues, the more I realized that, wow, I really am passionate about this. And so now I've kind of taken that and made it the locus of my mission and almost of my life.
5: That's really fantastic. And I have been noticing, like, in social media, just among my friends, really, that there has been a larger movement towards, like, being healthy and staying, like, in shape, getting enough sleep, even with, like, school, college lifestyle. But at the same time, I know there there's still people who are completely resistant, like, I see them, like, they're always complaining about, oh, I never have time to go to the gym. I'm gaining a lot of weight, but I don't really want to do anything about it. What advice, like, what, how, if you got a letter for your column, how would you tell them to take that first step?
2: Uh, yeah, you bring up a number of great points here. Certainly, I feel like there really has been a mass movement to kind of reinstate health in our daily lives. There are so many bloggers now and, you know, with the proliferation of the internet in this technological age, we have so many ways to kind of get this message across and I think that's fantastic. But of course, there are those people who just need that little kickstart, need that little push, that little iota of motivation to kind of get them rolling (laughs) in this healthy mission. And for me, what I found personally is that when you find those few activities, those few activities that promote health and fitness, but are enjoyable for you at the same time, you're much more likely to go out and do them. And I really emphasize the point few because I think, while it might be fun initially to try everything, sometimes you'll find that it kind of tires you out. So if you just, after kind of running the gamut on these fitness activities, find those two or three or maybe four that you just absolutely adore, and then each day of the week you can try a different one. And that's kind of a great way to get that exercise plan forming for you. So I love biking, for instance, and that's mm-hmm. really been one of my, I'm so passionate about that as a form of exercise. And so I always, you know, take time to go take a quick bike ride or take a quick walk to kind of break up those long periods of sitting because, again, as the study emphasized, if we can not make sure we're not sitting for really long periods of time that's one great way to make sure we're staying healthy and that's so important for teenagers too because we're young we're growing we need to keep our bodies healthy so get out there do something fun don't sit down for too long
5: (laughs) well thank you hannah so much for this information and the advice as always i really enjoyed speaking with you about some very critical science health and humanities related topics today and as always, all good things must come to an end, and this show gave us insight on appreciating the world around us through science and humanity. Thanks to Star Star Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and Kid Star for producing this show, but we empower kids. Thanks to our Voice America kids crew, especially Perry Demont and Bruce Goldstein. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Courtney Chung. And
2: I'm Hannah Hundle. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For more info on our creative community, go to btsya.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be a science star, and be here.
0: Remember to express yourself Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find someplace.
1: Hello, my name is Lindsay Marie from Phoenix, Arizona and host of Bookworm The kid's of the of the month This month is Back in School, Neil Brewer, and Friends Let's listen to Dodgeball
7: Look out, Mary's got the ball And her eyes are set on you She's lean, she's mean, she's quick and tall There's nothing you can do One time she drew a beat on Fred Back when he first moved in She slung one straight upside his head Fred hasn't played since then We laughed when we first saw her throw With that wind-up fling and twirl Now every single kid I know Tries throwing like that girl But none of us have matched her way Perhaps it's in the eyes We only know that when she plays We drop like swatted flies Dodgeball, dodgeball Mary gonna make us fall It ought to be against the law She should even play it all Dodgeball, dodgeball Mary sure is beautiful But friend, I wouldn't tell her that Cause she'll wind up hard And you'll wind up flat Same thing happens every day Mary puts us in our place Though we try, we cannot get away From that moment. A face each day, we wonder who it is she's gonna level first. And when she's through with what she does, we all line up for the nurse. Dodgeball, dodgeball, Mary's gonna make us fall. It ought to be against the law, she should even play at all. Dodgeball, dodgeball, Mary's show is beautiful. The friend, I wouldn't tell her that, cause she'll wind up hard. And you'll wind up that When I go out into the world Don't know what job I'll do But I can bet I know one girl Who's gonna run a wrecking crew Dodgeball, dodgeball Mary's gonna make us fall It ought to be against the law She should even play it on Dodgeball, dodgeball Mary sure is beautiful But friend, I wouldn't tell her that Cause she'll wind up hard She's gonna wind up hard She's gonna wind up hard And you'll wind up flat Look out Mary's skulky ball And her eyes are set on
1: you. The Kid Star Elbow of the Month is Back in School by Neil Brewer and Friends. All musical proceeds Neil Brewer and Friends received are donated to the Harvard Stem Cell Institute to put an end to muscular dystrophy. For more information, go to the Kid Star website, www.kidstar.org.